It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer on this wonderful May morning. We're up early here recording the podcast, uh, just before 8 a.m., so it's a, it's a little earlier than Mr. Reifer's used to getting up, but I'm an early bird oh, these I, days. I'm, I'm, I'm a reasonably early bird, too. I just have dog-walking responsibilities, uh, among other <laughs> things, in the morning that I've got to take care of. Yeah, yeah. Taking care of the pups is always important and, and an integral part of my day-to-day life these days with uh, three of them. We've got one Australian Labradoodle and two Australian Shepherds. And, you know, it's <laughs> we're just preparing for the Women's World Cup is basically what it is. We have exclusively <laughs> Australian uh, name right. named dogs. None of them, of course, are from Australia. They are all from from the state of Oregon. But yeah, that those are our pups. And uh, Finn, Tegan, and Porter. Those are that's the trio. Jerry, Jerry's just a big mutt. He's. <laughs> he, he, I, I got him genetically. I got like for Christmas after I, I adopted Jerry. I got like one of those a genet, dog genetic test things, uh, and I did it on Jerry. And his biggest category by far is he came in a little bit over sixty percent other. Other, <laughs> which other, yeah, which was um, not helpful, but also <laughs> uh, I think kind of just de- demonstrates the point that he is just a a big mutt, a mutt oh. through and through. That's that's always good to spend money on one of those tests, and then it tells you absolutely nothing about. <laughs> that, 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 that's right. Luckily, I got exactly what I paid for because it was a gift. So, <laughs> I, yes, nothing ventured, nothing gained for me there. But uh, but yeah, he, he's just a, a big old beefcake though. He, he's weighing in at about. <laughs> 90 pounds so oh man oh so yeah you know he uh he he, you know he he likes to get after it in the mornings needs his like morning like 30 plus minute walk otherwise the day can be a disaster yeah could could be destructive for sure and like did some some special lollygagging this morning i think because like there were there were like some thunderstorms unusual morning thunderstorms in portland like that's not a thing in portland uh that we get very often if we get them we always get them in the evening so some unusual, uh, you know, morning thunderstorms in the distance that I think were probably disruptive to his normal, uh, you know, walking routine. Exactly. So, you know, shifting gears from from our pups to to the folks on the field uh, for the Timbers and Thorns this weekend. It was it was a couple of games that once again I I missed due to vacation usage and once again extremely exciting games and positive results for both of the teams. Right. Um, uh, it seems I may be the problem. Uh, it, it is, uh, it is a three Oh and O record for the Timbers when I'm not there. 
and the thorns pull off this this excellent uh draw against angel city but we'll start was with it excellent it was it was dramatic exciting is the word exciting? i was thinking of yeah. and the word yeah. excellent came out of my mouth so <laughs> exciting but nonetheless i think disappointing but we'll yes, get to that yes we'll and we there. we will get down down to brass tacks with uh with regard to the thorns but um starting with the timbers you know obviously a, an important victory for them on the road to one at St. Louis and um, a game that, that they showed themselves to be improving, to be in better form. Uh, Jimmy Chara came in and was, you know, fiery from the get go and, and had that game winning goal. Um, You know, it it was despite the fact that it seems to be a two steps forward, one step back situation with the injuries, uh, particularly, yeah, a huge, you know, piece of news with David Ajala going down with the, an ACL tear. Now the second defensive oriented midfielder for the Timbers to go down with the same injury this year after Eric Williamson uh, getting thin in that spot, a spot that is is now occupied by Diego Chara, who is 37 years old and still as, as durable as ever. And Christian Paredes, who uh, is just coming off a hamstring injury and, has now been thrust into a regular starting role with, you know, Noel Kaliskan being the the newest addition and really the only player on the bench that is naturally at that position. So you're you're talking about being thin at two very important central defensive positions in the midfield and at center back, um, and and that's scary, particularly given the concerns that the Timbers have re- with regard to how they've defended in in some of their rougher matches this season but I, I thought they defended really well against St. Louis and were able to to contain them I thought that you know they they were mature and they handled the game well you know just watching those highlights it it seems to me very mature highlights yeah mature highlights they're <laughs> they're rounding into and I you know just just for posterity I did watch a, a good portion of of that game before I I left for um, from the activities with the family that I, I had on Saturday, but still, you know, everything I heard from Gio, you know, he he's tends to lean positive in terms of his team, but um, genuinely That's feels good. like this team is, is starting to potentially turn a corner in terms of its performances, but you can't turn the corner unless you, you go all the way around the corner, let's say, and, and they're just approaching that corner, I feel like with this victory and, and this is an important month of May with, with winnable games, a lot of home games um, that you got to take care of. And, and the first one obviously being against Austin on Saturday. But um, what were your impressions, Chris, of, of that performance uh, from the Timbers against St. Louis? So I think we now have enough data to, to highlight a trend, uh, which is actually the Timbers defending pretty well. Uh, and this is n- not an entirely new phenomenon since since that horrible pillow fight uh against against the galaxy in 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 late march uh the timbers have have only conceded in mls play i'm I'm literally counting as we do this so give me a moment uh i i think they've they've conceded six goals in six games that's pretty good if you're if you if you've got a gaa of of about one uh you're a good defensive team uh, they've got a couple clean sheets in that time. 
they uh, have only, I think it's actually five goals in six games now that I'm counting better. Uh, they have only given up multiple goals once. That was on the road at Cincinnati. Uh, and uh, and that, that was, you know, I mean, it's not like that was a, a heavy loss. That was a, a, a 2-1 uh, against a team that is very good on the road. Uh, and so I think if you look at that stretch as a whole, I think there's reason to be pleased with the way the Timbers have defended, notwithstanding some of the personnel issues that they've had uh, in terms of injuries and in terms of uh, of uh, failed signings. Uh, but also, you know, just sort of collectively as a team, I think they've done a nice job after being really open to start the season to kind of getting things tightened up and back first. Uh, that is not a, not a new thing for uh, for Geo's teams. This is, it's kind of a familiar pattern of the Timbers enter the season. They're open. They're a bit naive. They get they they get overrun, uh, and then they kind of sort it out eventually. Uh, and and they get things locked down defensively and, and get into a little bit better stead uh, in terms of, uh, of, of their defensive work. And so I think that's all uh, a positive development for the team. Uh, but this was a good, good, good win. Uh, and, and that's not to say that, that St. Louis is a juggernaut. They have not been recently uh, after this game. They're one, three and one in their last five. They're sort of coming back down to earth after that scintillating five O and O start. Uh, but, and, and they were without Joao Klaus, who has been really important for them up top and has been one of their primary danger men in, in, in terms of, of scoring goals. All of that notwithstanding, a road win in MLS is very good. Uh, and there's no reason to believe that even, you know, sort of coming off their early season heater, that St. Louis is, is you know, I mean, that's not going into winning at Kansas City, which the Timbers are going to have to do soon. Um, just a deeply, deeply incompetent Kansas City team. I just want to, I think we highlighted that a, a week or two ago. It's worth doing again because they have three draws through 10 games and that's it. They have three points in yeah, 10 games. Absolutely dreadful side. One, one of Historically the worst. Historically bad. One of the worst ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you know, but, and it's not like that. Uh, so this was a, a really good win. I thought Christian Paredes had his best game as a timber. He was the best player on the field. It wasn't particularly close. Uh, it is weird to me that Evander got the call for uh, for team of the week, and and Paredes was on the bench. Uh, Evander, I, I I thought found some good spots, but wasn't particularly dangerous. Paredes was was a head above everybody else on the field, uh, and when he came on for Ajala, he was a two way force uh, that that really allowed the Timbers to 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 seize the game. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think that is very exciting to now see him rounding back into fitness and form. If that continues, that's, that's a game changer, uh, for this Timbers team, but you're, and, and I thought their approach to the game was very smart, which was after an opening 10 or 15 minutes in which the Timbers had quite a bit of the ball and, and created some chances out of it, uh, they kind of sat back a little bit and let St. Louis have the ball and dared St. Louis to break them down with the ball and then sort of ambushed them in, uh, in vulnerable moments. And that's exactly the way to play the St. Louis city team, right? They have, 
when they've been successful, it's been because they've played really effectively against the ball. They have not been a team that has been, you know, using the ball to break teams down uh, and to control games with the ball. And by forcing St. Louis to carry that uh, and to carry a lot of the possession, I thought the Timbers really exposed them quite a bit. And and, and so uh, I think they got the tactics spot on. Uh, I, I think Gio's approach going into the game was spot on. Uh, and I think they uh, they really got some big performances from from guys like Paredes, uh, from Jimmy Chara coming out as a substitute, from Santiago Moreno, who had another good game, uh, and and from Zach McGraw, uh, who they will not have next week as a result of yellow card accumulation, which is a shame <laughs> and potentially a very big problem. Uh, but uh, but who nonetheless was was very good. Uh, in, in this game. So overall, I think you're very excited uh, about the way the Timbers played. Uh, I think, you know, from what we saw late against Seattle, uh, what we saw in, uh, you know, a, a, a quality loss uh, at Cincinnati and then that that they repeated in this game, I, I think there's reason for optimism finally uh, for this Timbers team. They've got to get a little bit healthier. Um, they've got to get uh Aspria back they've got to get uh, McGraw off of suspension um you know this would be a tremendous game to be debuting that spring center back signing that they made <laughs> or did not make as, as as is the case uh and 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 I think there are going to be concerns about that um and I, I and going into games in May that you know I don't think they can afford to drop you know, very many of these games that they should have a chance to win. Uh, and a home game against a really struggling Austin team is very much a game that they should feel like that they should win and that they need to win. Uh, and they're pretty vulnerable um, because of because of how thin they are at the back. But uh, but there are other reasons for optimism, hopefully seeing more of Jimmy Chara, hopefully seeing 90 minutes out of Paredes that I think uh, that I think, you know, may, should have the Timbers feeling like. Uh, this is an opportunity for them to go and attack. Yeah, and, and I, I think that two guys are, are really the engine that that can make this turnaround go, and, and that would be Santiago Moreno, who I think is rounding into to much better form. He's he's more comfortable on the wing, and so you know being slotted back in there has allowed him to to regain his form after a really brutal start to the season for him, just no goal contributions through I think like six games. Um, playing in a midfield role primarily, but still you would think somebody that, that they have hyped up that much would, would have been able to contribute more and, and who really lived up to the hype towards the end of last year. That's not to say that, you know, the Timbers have, have oversold Santi. Santi has sold himself well. Um, that being said, you know, it's him and, and Evander who I, I think are the engines that, that will make this go. If the, if the defending is still, strong and consistent the way it has been the last several weeks. Um, unlocking Evander has been something that has felt close the last couple of weeks, but, you know, save for, for the penalty, which I thought he took brilliantly and, and did a great job on. Um, yeah. it, it's got been, Ber- got Berkey moving early and just put it the other way. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of almost for him. Like he's had a, a lot of flashes and moments where you're like, wow, like, this guy is a serious playmaker. He, he can put in some really dangerous set pieces that um, that change the way that this team plays. So much of the 
um, success that Portland had scoring last year, despite its woes, came off the set piece. And with no Bill Tuiloma, there hadn't really been somebody on this team yet until Evander came back that was a, a proven, consistent threat. Um, you know, not having McGraw on Saturday is obviously a major blow. I think, you know, we've, we've talked about it week after week that he's been one of the most important players for this team this year. Um, and just the lack of depth at center back makes that really tenuous, right? You're, you're talking about either starting Mabiala at that spot next to Zuperich after Mabiala definitely struggled in, in his time that he last played. Um, and, and it was evident. I mean, they, you know, Defending Toronto, he he was he was really really struggling and showing Cincinnati. I, right? Cincinnati sorry, yeah. yes, correct, correct, and quite different cities, there. very different cities, uh, <laughs> different different food, different um, availability of chili in in those two cities. But um, I don't know. Can you get? I mean, get kinda, chili kinda, in Toronto. Kind of interesting the the chili poutine connection. Okay, there you go. But I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there there's nothing connecting uh connecting Cincinnati and in Toronto, I don't think. Yeah. But other than other than perhaps the stretches of futility that that their respective clubs have had in MLS. And maybe forgets that before Toronto got good, which was before they got bad again, but even before they got good, they were like the they were the, you know, competitors with Chivas USA for the uh for the for the wooden spoon. And then Cincinnati of course being the wooden spoon kings. Uh coming into MLS with three in a row. And what a turnaround it's been for them. They they've really you know, that, that team and that club has, has turned it well, complete 180 yeah. from that situation. So, um, but, but, you know, continuing to speak to the center back situation, I mean, Liam Ridgewell was, was the fill in center back at practice this week, like at, at the training that was open to the media. Um, he's, he's still got something in the tank, but he's not going to be signed to Probably a ten, does to a ten day or <laughs> anything. I mean, he's 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 not going to step in there on Saturdays. If and we can assuage those concerns, uh, considering he has he hasn't played in a couple of years. But you know, it's too it's, many too many gray hairs. Yeah, uh, these days for Liam. Yeah, but he he was holding his own, and and you can always hear him. Of course, there's he was communicating like a teammate and not like a coach, which I thought was fun just to, just to see that for a stretch at, at training this week. But um, he's not walking through that door. It's, it's going to be Eric Miller. Or it's going to be Larry Smapiala and, and Miller is not necessarily a natural center back. Um, he, he, he has had more success for the Timbers, I think in an outside back role this year, just kind of filling in for um, Mosquera or filling in for, you know, Bravo at different points or Rasmussen would be maybe in that spot. But in terms of availability, I mean, Blanco is, is available for selection. Geo talked this week about his status being week by week. So whether he, he sees minutes on Saturday is dependent on how he's feeling. Um, it's, it's seems pretty fickle right now. The, the knee issue, um, he didn't really train very much this week compared to, to the week leading up to his return. And it seems more likely that he would see the field again in that U S open cup match coming up against real salt Lake to, to provide a similar opportunity for him to have a, a low pressure setting to, to keep trying. And it also leaves the window open for, you know, club flexibility, which is something that Ned Grabovoy has talked about publicly, but that, 
you know, I who's to say the motivation in terms of, of when and how they're going to play him uh, leading into this summer time, which there are decisions to make, right? Yeah, they're going to be big decisions to make. And if he can't, you know, if we can't get beyond, and this isn't to say that, that this should have happened already, but if they're not able to kind of get beyond the, we'll see how this week it goes uh, phase with him, I think that's going to become a really acute decision. Yes. Uh, and, and and so I think there's there's work yet to be done there, uh, but I think the hope is very much that we see him at some point in, a, in the next couple of games, because if not, I think that's not a great sign. Yeah, that would be a potential red flag for sure uh, of of not only his recovery, but but maybe how the the team wants to handle that going forward. So something to, to keep an eye on there. Bravo will be available for selection on on Saturday question is how many minutes um he had a calf issue that kept him out last week and um whether he's able to start or not is, is kind of up in the air at this point um Aspria's knee injury he, he had some soreness last week Gio said and, and they kept him out for precautionary reasons but at the same time he was limited at training this week uh was training on the side with Blanco and with Mora um both of whom have their their share of knee issues. I mean, he's questionable for Saturday. So it, it may be a little more of a, um, a setback in his recovery than, than the club is leading on, but it's, it's something, something to watch because I think that Dyrone has, has since he's come back, been a really positive contributor. Yeah. been a very important player. And it, the, the reason it, it makes me a little bit nervous that this is flared up is, a little bit of PTSD from the situation with Felipe Mora in which he sort of similarly came back and got back from a similar, seemingly uh, minor preseason knee surgery, came back for a little bit, played a few games, went back on the shelf with a similar thing, and then ended up having to go in for a very, very serious um, and season ending and yet to be recovered from uh knee 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 surgery last summer so i i think that's that's what causes some concern from the outside not knowing the full details of it uh we'll have to see how it plays out hopefully it's only a minor bump in the road and espria is back in full stead soon but uh but i i think that's probably why if you're a little bit nervous about the situation with espria that's why yeah it does feel in many ways like i said before like a two steps forward one step back thing with their health whether they can finally break out of this and and feel like a mostly fully healthy team, save for obviously the major injuries to, to Williamson and Ayala, um, and and maybe get Felipe Mora back this summer, which is is the targeted window. You know, June July is is what has been said before. Um, I've yet to see him run at training, so that's I mean that's an indicator there in terms of of when he he might be available. Um, it's a lot of stretches, a lot of, you know, um, resistance training. He's done some work with the ball, uh, but they're not going to rush him back because they signed him to a lengthier extension at a lower money number. And he's one of those two players, Blanco included, who Ned Gravavoy has said publicly, they, they are thinking about what the use of the amnesty provision might look like with with either of those two players to free up more money to allegedly improve the team right but which, we, which by the way in light of that extension which was done at the end of last season so it was done after he had the surgery and after this most recent injury popped up 
the fact that he's in in consideration <laughs> even for uh for the the use of the amnesty provision i think raises some questions in its own right uh about whether they have handled the situation correctly now that extension has gotten them uh some immediate cap relief because his his annual his average annual value number, which is the number that's most important for uh, a TAM or DP level players cap hit, um, has gone down uh, as a result of the extension. So it got him some immediate relief. Uh, but I think there's going to be some questions about that extension if this recovery ultimately fails. One more piece of Timbers related news that that we can touch on briefly um, is is the estimated valuation from from Sportico which which I found to be one of the more interesting stories of this week in in the soccer realm uh Timbers are valued at 685 million dollars uh which puts them at 29th in the world according to Sportico's rankings that's just behind Napoli the Serie A leaders at 690 million estimated and just above West Ham United who are, are kind of in cellar dweller territory in the premier league. Um, sometimes middling, but you know, closer to the bottom right now. But nonetheless, a powerhouse in Ted Lasso. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I haven't watched Ted Lasso, but I actually knew that, that there, that there was that connection, but either way, like um, it, it, it's an interesting number. It's an interesting assertion. The idea that, that the Timbers are a top 30 club in the world in terms of value. Um, there's a lot of layers to it. It's, it's, you know, MLS is a single entity league. You know, it, it, there is less money allocated to, to player compensation in MLS than in any of the five major sports leagues in the U S and then any of the major soccer leagues in the world. Uh, it's like something like 28, 29% of, of revenue allocated to that. These, these valuations are based on revenue and they're, and the, the fact that there is no relegation in MLS is a major factor as well to why they are above some of these prem teams, because a West ham has a chance of getting relegated and, and therefore taking a major revenue hit. Whereas sporting Kansas city is going to no matter how bad they are this year, year. they're going to be in MLS <laughs> next year and forever as long as they don't move to another city. But even if they do, they'll still be in MLS. There's no folding going to be happening for any of these franchises. It's it's too big of a cash cow. Um, when you look at these numbers, Chris, when when you see on the surface the the headline the the idea that the Timbers are a top 30 club in the world in terms of value and, and that $685 million number, what comes to mind for you? Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't put a lot of stock in these things. Uh, I, I don't think they're particularly relevant for fans because I don't think they're really related to, I mean, I, I think they're, they're much more related to sort of the, 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 value of the entity and the business opportunities uh than they are to sort of fan experience in terms of what gets put on the field or the quality of play or or, or anything like that oh and so I, I i don't put a ton of stock in these i also question some of the methodology i mean it just doesn't frankly sniff as plausible 
uh, that the Portland Timbers are one spot below Napoli in terms of global value of, of soccer teams. Uh, I think there are definitely things that make the, that make uh, MLS uh, and that make MLS clubs a little, uh, a, you know, a bigger business opportunity and a, and a different business opportunity than maybe some other things. Promotion and relegation is certainly being one of them or the absence of it here. Uh, I think just the, the size and the economic power of the United States market and the potential uh, to uh, for growth uh, is is not is is another factor. Although I think there's there are some headwinds there, um, and so you know I I, I think uh, all of those things m- provide some conceptual support for the idea uh, that some of these American clubs may be valued uh, fairly highly, even compared to some of their more prestigious and frankly just better on the field European counterparts. Uh, but that much. I don't know. <laughs> that seems like a little bit of a reach to me, uh, but I don't know anything about any of this. I, I I don't think it's all that important in terms of the fans' perspective. I think the more important point is the point that you made about the percentage of revenue spent on uh, on players and on player expenditures. Now, of course, that doesn't include transfer fees. Those those things usually focus on salaries, but that's that's the same for every soccer league in the world. Right. Uh, it, that makes it a little bit not quite an apples to apples comparison uh, with the other American sports league leagues, but it is an apples to apples comparison with Eredivisie and, 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 you know, any number of the even sort of next tier down European leagues where uh, MLS is still spending significantly less uh, on player expenditures, uh, uh, by compared to revenue, uh, than those other leagues. And so I think that's something that, frankly, is going to go into the players union's back pocket for future labor negotiations with the league. They are going to feature that prominently. It's been a difficult period for the players union, uh, both because they had really unfortunate timing in that they uh, came to their last labor agreement immediately before COVID. Uh, And in fact, they came to it so closely before COVID struck that it hadn't even been ratified once the COVID shutdown happened. And then once the COVID shutdown happened, all of a sudden the dynamics shifted completely uh, and and the owners sort of reopened the agreement to sort of force the players to give, to make some significant concessions uh, that they didn't have to make in those first rounds. That was, that certainly set the players back. They've also just been having to fight uh, on a number of fronts where they haven't really been able to focus on uh, on sort of share of revenue devoted to salaries in the way some of the other players, labor organizations uh, in other American leagues have, um, because they've also been fighting on just structural fronts, uh, you know, uh, getting free agency and, and, and improving travel conditions. And, and they've had all of these other issues where they haven't necessarily been able to focus on the singular issue of getting that percentage of revenue uh, put into uh, the camp of player salaries uh, and and dedicated to that camp. And so I think that'll probably change uh, in the upcoming years as some of these structural issues have have started to get ironed out. Uh, and I think this only also harkens back to the, you know, ever-present call to fundamentally change the way MLS does its salary cap. I think getting rid of the salary cap altogether is unlikely. 
but I think there are growing calls from media sources and and even from uh, we've we've heard from uh, a number of of folks in front offices, not necessarily ownership, <laughs> but certainly a number of, of sporting directors and, and and the like, to go to a much higher overall salary cap and a much higher floor and to get rid of a lot of the inner fencing. Uh, I don't know how much and I don't think we know how much traction that has on the ownership end that's where it matters uh, but we'll see uh, but in, in terms of the the sort of top line numbers I don't put a ton of stock in them uh, the reasons to think that MLS clubs might have higher valuations than others but those don't frankly matter very much to fans it, it does have that feel of sort of like a Forbes list of of soccer teams right like that that the, the this has an audience of fans because they're interested in this generally, but um, there's also a smaller and much more powerful audience that, that would point to this article from Sportico that would point to the numbers asserted here and say, Hey, look at my big, beautiful asset that I have (laughs) that is worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars more than, than frankly, a lot of people around the world would think right in Portland. That's an audience of one though. Yes, it is. And <laughs> the the, uh, the the way that the number is viewed by the owners is probably something exciting for them, right? The idea that they have this very prized asset that's worth all this money. But it, it also can serve, I think, as fuel to potentially a, like a labor revolution in MLS that is long overdue, Right. That, that these players who um, are unproven or who are trying to make a leap or who are at the tail end of, of a storied career come to this league and in many ways in terms of how their salary is structured and, and how much money they can make, comparatively, they are exploited. And and that's something that this league has to, to contend with in terms of... of how it continues to grow and attract talent in the coming years when um, some of the players, it's it's kind of like a paying your dues situation. You almost don't have, have a choice necessarily if you want to, to make that jump from, from A to B to C with C being Europe or a, a league slightly above MLS that, that you view as, as a upward trajectory for your career. A lot of layers to this. Um, I, I, I don't take a, a ton of stock in, in the number either, but I, I think it's interesting. I think it's something that fans are interested in in terms of um, the growth of MLS, what that looks like and how it impacts the workers, the people who are playing between the lines every weekend in MLS. For me, that matters a lot more. So I'm, I'm more interested in how that evolves in, in the coming years. I think that's right, uh, and I, I think the the chances of a labor stoppage at some point in the next couple CBA cycles are pretty high, uh, but that's that's a little ways out. My vague recollection right now is that the current CBA doesn't doesn't expire until sometime after either twenty twenty seven or twenty twenty eight. So there's a little bit of time there, uh, and and you know, I, and and then you know whether they can get it ironed out, then probably have another round uh, five years or so after that. I would think that there's a pretty good chance that that in that you know ten to fifteen year horizon, we have a labor stoppage. 
because of just these reasons. Uh, and because as, as the, the player pool has gotten a little bit more money put behind it, that makes it a little bit, that gives them more resources to be able to weather a labor stoppage, which has been a big issue in the past where the, the MLS players union for a long time had a lot of voting members who really couldn't afford to miss too many paychecks and the, and the union didn't have uh, the resources behind it uh, to be able to weather a long labor stoppage. And, and as, as they get more money behind them, they, they, they have a little bit more of a war chest to be able to do that. Uh, and if these conditions remain, I think all of those dynamics point toward the, the likelihood uh, of of a labor stoppage at some point in in the next ten or fifteen years, but it's not a today issue uh, simply because of the nature of of the the timing of the CBA cycles and 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 how COVID really messed that all up uh, in MLS and and unfortunately I think that that means the near term prospects for significant reform in MLS are quite low because CBA negotiations are very often the tail that wags that dog. Uh, and the dog, as we know, has very little inclination to reform. So I, I just thought of my own dog and his his misbehavior uh, and, and his lack of desire to reform himself can sometimes be frustrating. But let's let's move on from uh, from Timbers talk, from dog talk uh, and jump into to one of the more exciting moments uh, in recent memory for PTFC uh, in, in Bella Bixby scoring a back heel goal in stoppage time to get a 3-3 draw against Angel City. Um, really upset that I missed that moment in person. Bella said it was the loudest she had heard Providence Park in her time playing there. And that includes Crystal Dunn having a game-winning goal um, nearly at the death against San Diego in the semis last year. So that's that's a big statement because that was an incredible moment, obviously, from Crystal um, but, but such a cool situation for Bella, right? The goalkeeper goal is such a rare opportunity. Um, and the fact that she and Michelle Betos now with Gotham, um, are the two only players at the goalkeeper position in NWSL history to score a goal, both of whom did it with the thorns, both of whom did Providence it Park. at Providence park. Yeah, it's, it's pretty surreal. And, um, Bella's been both, asked both equalizers in second half stoppage time. Although in, that's less surprising because those are the only conditions in which a goalkeeper is going up for uh, a set piece. But that, that is correct. Nonetheless. Yeah. And, and two different goals to obviously a flying header from Betos versus um, versus what Bella did, which I think was really awesome, you know, to have that little flick like that and the instinct to, to when the ball came loose from the opposing goalkeeper's grasp that she she just quickly taps it in like that with with her not, back not too many foot. goalkeeper back heel goals out there. So <laughs> no, Bella no. can lay claim to that one. <laughs> Bella was awesome, and it's so funny because uh, Emma pointed this out to me. Uh, she she's obviously a, a regular listener of this podcast, and she uh, pointed out that last week we talked about how Bella um, is kind of underappreciated in terms of her contributions to the Thorns and how important she is to this team's success, and then bam, the next week, uh, she's out there, uh, scoring a goal and, and she's been asked, asked about it a lot this week at a bunch of interviews. She's probably sick of it by now. Um, but it's, it's something that we got to highlight cause it was just so much fun. The, the, the game though, um, for the thorns was, was maybe the continuation of some middling form from them lately. 
um, a little bit of a lull, I would say, in in their expected dominance, right? With with how talented, deep, experienced this group is, how much chemistry they have. Last couple of weeks have have been a little bit, you know, shaky for for this team. And and Mike Norris pointed that out this week at training that that they have a lot of learning lessons from the last several games and and not the least of which this angel city game, they conceded three goals uh, and, you know, had to claw back and get a back heel from their goalkeeper to even draw it. So um, what, what were your impressions then Chris from that one? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it, it, on the higher level, it, it, I should note, you, you got all the glory here. What a fun moment from Bella like that. That, I mean, that's just, that's something that you expect to see once in a lifetime, right? You, if you're a baseball fan, it's like a perfect game or, or a triple play or something like that. Uh, and Thorns fans now have been treated to be able to see twice uh, a goalkeeper goal from their goalkeeper. That's really cool. Really fun moment for Bella. Don't want to take even a little bit away from that. That deserves like a, a, its own recognition and its own right. Um, really fun thing. Uh, the, the overall performance and the result, I think, is a little bit worrying to be honest. Uh, and, and what concerns me most is actually the, the set piece defending that we saw in the second half. This is something that had been lingering in the back of my mind. The thorns had been using a very, very, very zonal based marking system on set pieces. And it, it had worked out all right to date. Uh, I am not, there are people who are, who are militant in being opposed to zonal marking on set pieces. I am not one of those people. Uh, I think zonal marking systems, I think basically everybody is to some extent zonal marking, probably not quite as much as the Thorns are. The Thorns have a lot of players marking zonally. Uh, uh, I think most probably have uh, have uh, a, a couple more players who are uh, are, uh, are are going uh, player to player rather than uh, zonal. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's doing it to some extent. And you know the the reason is because if you're if you're marking up player to player it, it gets really easy to get picked uh and to free up uh attackers that way uh and so the, you know almost everybody has at least a couple and and sometimes even more uh players who are free the thorns have been going i think six at least uh players marking zonally maybe even eight at times uh and i think that is I mean, frankly, it it just causes a concern about giving up exactly the kinds of goals on set pieces that they gave up in the second half uh, against uh, against Angel City, which was just a ton of free runners. Uh, And I think the Thorns have a credible shout that there should have been a foul uh, on Julie Ertz on what was the equalizer at 2-2, sort of clearing out Bella Bixby a little bit, preventing her from being able able to make a catch or a punch that she probably would have been able to make otherwise. Uh, and and allowing the ball to come through on the back post. I think that's a credible shout. I don't think it was an obvious foul. I'm not surprised that VAR didn't overturn it. Uh, referee certainly would have been justified in calling it at the time, I think. But, it, I, you know, I mean, it's set pieces. You see contact like that a lot. Uh, and, and if we were calling that all the time, we would have a lot of set pieces that were just, that were, that just resulted in fouls and we'd move on. So, I don't think, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not scandalized by that non-call, uh, but nonetheless, and then we come back a few minutes later and, and Angel City gets another one on the near post and near post runs 
from unmarked players are one of the things that you're concerned about uh, when uh, when when you're marking in a scheme like the Thorns have used. Uh, and so I'm interested to see if they start to rethink that, if they dial that back a little bit uh, and uh, and and sort of go away from the near pure zonal marking scheme that they've been using as a result of this, because frankly, I expect that there are going to be other teams doing their homework uh, and sort of copying Angel City uh, in that respect. Whether they can be as successful, we'll see. This hasn't been a long-standing problem for the Thorns, but it's been, but it certainly was uh, it, the, this last weekend. But you know, I, I think there's some heat now on this Thorns team. Uh, they have had a home-heavy early season schedule in the league. Uh, they're atop the table, so it's not like it's gone terribly. Um, but they've definitely left some points on the table, right? I, I mean, you know, the the home game against the Dash, the home game against Angel City, those are those are games that you would hope that this Thorns team would be winning, and they didn't. Uh, and so I, I, I think there's a little bit of pressure now as the Thorns go on the road, go to North Carolina, somewhere where the Thorns have not had a lot of historical success. Um, and, and, they, and then they go to San Diego thereafter where they – just dropped a challenge cup result that they probably should have gotten at least a point out of. There's some concern about whether this team is maximizing its results uh, about whether, whether the good, their good play is, is, is being translated into points. Uh, and I think they now have to go out on the road and show that they can get those kinds of results under more difficult conditions than where they've, they've failed to get them in the last few weeks. So uh, I think there's for the first time this season, some genuine pressure on the Thorns team. Uh, I, I think you hear it a little bit in Norris's comments. Uh, and I'm very interested to see how they're going to respond. Right. And, you know, you, you spoke to, to defending particularly set pieces, but defending generally is something that they, they were heavily focused on at training this week. Uh, uh, Mike Norris pointed to that as, as a major area of concern for, for them, particularly given that, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn is out with a foot injury. And uh, what he told me yesterday was that it's going to probably be a couple weeks before she is available. Um, that's big for these two games on the road at North Carolina and Houston, because um, it, it's harder defending on the road anyway. Right. And without Becky Sauerbrunn, one of the great center backs of all time, um, that that's going to be a challenge. And, and she was in first team NWSL best 11 player for the month. So she has started out this season really strong. Um, the other two players, of course, being Crystal Dunn, who has been a really positive contributor in the midfield and just a consistent disruptor, in addition to obviously being a threat to score a goal at any moment. Um, and then Sophia Smith, who's been nuclear for four goals, four assists in five games. Um, you know, it's it's defending is, is the big concern. Obviously, these, these two games, I think, are as you alluded to going to be one of the biggest tests, if not the biggest so far for the thorns who, yes, they are undefeated at, at three wins, no losses and two draws. Yes. They're atop the league table, but for now by, by a point, um, but they want more out of this. Uh, Karina LeBlanc was, was marching around training this week saying, you know, we want six points, six points. That's what she was. She was loudly saying both in, in earshot of the media, but also in earshot of of the players who um, very much have that same mindset. They want to go to North Carolina and get three. They want to go to Houston and get three and reassert themselves as as the dominant team that, that they know they can be given their talent, 
given their experience, it's, it's, it's gotta happen for them. And, and that's their mindset. And if they're able to pull five, six points or excuse me, four or six points out of, out of this road trip, um, that that's a, that's a win. And, and I think that, uh, they will maintain their position atop the table if they do so. Well, they certainly will just mathematically, and you're right. It is Houston <laughs> next, and, and and not San Diego, as I somehow uh, got ahead of myself one uh, one away game. That's at the end of the month, right? Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if they go and get six points, they will definitely remain atop the table uh, because nobody can get more than that in that period of time, and they're currently at the top of the table. Big facts, yeah, big facts. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think this is, this is, you know, probably the highest pressure that they faced, uh, all year. Uh, the, the three sort of opening months, best 11, uh, selections, I think were well-deserved for, uh, the thorns crystal Dunn in particular, I think has been phenomenal, uh, and has become sort of a really key part of the thorns engine, uh, that you weren't sure, uh, what you were going to get given her age and her experience and all of that uh, coming into this year, she has been back into full form. Uh, and that has been huge, huge for them. There has been an emerging partnership between, uh, between Dunn and Smith that has been lethal. And, uh, and that's been enormous for them. So I think those are, those are well-deserved awards. Uh, but you're, you're exactly right that Sauerbrunn uh, and her, Absence, her importance over the the first couple of months has been enormous, and her absence is going to be significant. Now, the Thorns do have Emily Menges, who uh, is is also coming off sort of a lost twenty twenty two, but before that was one of the best and most consistent defenders in NWSL year in and year out for this Portland Thorns team. And so, uh, you like who the Thorns have to sort of step into that role uh, in in Sauerbrunn's absence, given that she's going to be out for some measure of weeks wouldn't surprise me if they're a little bit cautious bringing her back with the world cup on the horizon. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's a little bit more than a couple weeks. Um, but you like, uh, who the thorns, <laughs> unlike their, their male counterparts, uh, who the thorns have to bring off the bench at center back. Uh, and, and, and you you know, I very much think that, that they nonetheless can feel like they can go get these results, uh, notwithstanding Becky's absence, but it's Becky Sauerbrunn, not an easy player to replace. Uh, and and that's going to be a big challenge now for the Thorns going out on the road uh, when I think they very reasonably feel like they need to get some results uh, in order to to sort of keep a hold, keep the hold on the season that they established in the first few weeks of the season. That game against North Carolina is on Saturday at four o'clock Pacific. Then the following Friday, the Thorns will travel to Houston. Uh, they're out on the road that whole time, so they won't be coming back to Portland um, in between it'll, it'll basically be a, about a 10 day road trip for them to, to both North Carolina and, and down to Texas, uh, probably a, a good time to get some barbecue, but you know, I, they are high level professional athletes. So maybe they won't be indulging as much as someone like myself would, but I digress. Uh, yeah. they, 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 uh, they what, will, what, will what's be your out perspective as to, uh, you know, more southeastern barbecue versus Texas barbecue. Uh, I, are you, gonna, I, are you a pulled pork person or are you a brisket person? Well, I'm a brisket person generally, and and I think I think that there's a recency bias here because I was just at Eam last night and had the ah, had the white nice. curry with the with the brisket burnt ends in it, and it's just 
there are a few things I've I've eaten in my life that bring me more consistent joy than that white curry at Eam. Um, just just love that place. You know, last, last time uh, I was in there was on on my birthday last year, and th- this time was just a, a prelude to going to see Bo is Afraid over at the Hollywood Theater, um, which was a very interesting experience to say the <laughs> least. Uh, not the theater, but you know, the movie itself. I love the Hollywood. It's, it's legendary, but, um, I, I would need a whole nother podcast to talk about how I feel about Bo's afraid as, as a, <laughs> as a diehard Ari Aster fan. Um, there's, there's a lot of mixed emotions in my mind right now, but brisket all the way. Brisket all the way. I, I think that's a good shout. Uh, I, and it's very much where I fall. I appreciate, um, some good pulled pork with like some good Carolina mustard, uh, but forced to choose between the two, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go sort of traditional Texan barbecue over uh, over your your North Carolina pit bosses. I would tend to agree, although I have yet to beat a North Carolina. Um, maybe if they have NWSL championship there this year, I can I can indulge in it. Who knows what the venue is going to be for NWSL championship? We're I don't know if we're even particularly close to finding that out, but you know what? I'll, I'll go wherever. I'm, <laughs> that seems like something that they're going to announce like, you know, three or four weeks before the game. It'd, it'd be cool if they announced it soon. I'd like to make some plans. It would be cool with, with regard to travel, but we'll see. Uh, that'll wrap it for us on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, for Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Soccer Made in PDX. Uh, like, subscribe do all the things if you so choose uh we'll be back next week to to talk some uh u.s open cup for the timbers some regular season action for the timbers uh and and that first of two majors so thanks again and we'll see you next week